When it comes to my career, there's two words that define it, risk and reward. I'm not alone. This is a tightrope that almost every entrepreneur walks. How much are you willing to risk to go after reward? And what is your reward? For me, it was never about money. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to be part of creating a culture where ideas would come to life, where we'd be intellectually stimulated and emotionally energized. Those conditions were met across my entire career. If you were in an environment where people had shining eyes and beating hearts and a bias for action, I found that profitability invariably fell in line. And if I failed, I'd fall off that tightrope. I never risked my life. I risked my financial security, but I could learn from those mistakes. It made me a better entrepreneur. Risk can be like a headwind. It can be even cement. I mean, so many of us dream about being on that tightrope. But when you're navigating a marketplace with your, your big idea and coming to terms with what it takes to, to run a business, hiring, cash flow, bureaucracy, it's easier said than done. Risk often overpowers reward. You might have a burning desire to be an entrepreneur, but you also have a great career with a growing sense of job and financial security. Or you might have a growing family to feed, debt to pay off, or just feel the market conditions aren't perfect. I can tell you that endless tinkering will eventually net diminishing returns. At some point, if your passion is to pursue your own business, you have to leave the runway and take flight. As Walt Disney said, you need to dream it and to do it. If you're going up against a giant in your industry, you're in a David versus Goliath type fight right from the start. You've got to be fast, you've got to be nimble, and you've got to pick a segment of the market that the big guys aren't focused on and run as fast as you can to gain market share. That's how we did it. We just tried to be the best David we could be. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. And this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My guest today is a dreamer and a doer. Anthony Lacavera is one of Canada's top entrepreneurs. As a kid out of school, he parlayed a $25,000 loan into creating a multi-billion dollar company. And in one of those, he stared down the two telecommunication giants. Anthony's here to share what it takes to be an entrepreneur and what it'll take for Canada to create a new economy. Anthony Lacavera, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thank you for having me, Tony. So I got to start right back in 1998. You graduate with a computer engineering degree. You must have a lineup of people wanting to hire you, but you choose a different path, your own path. So take us back to that time and why the security of a job didn't matter to you and why the putting wind in your sails did. Uh, well, look, Tony, I think that um, when I think back to 1998, my impression was that Going to work for a big company, and you may recall back in those days, Nortel was kind of the destination for uh, for Canadian young Canadians graduating from engineering school. Of course, Nortel long gone now, but Microsoft, IBM, those were the big tech companies at the time. Um, and uh, I felt like going to work for one of those big tech companies out of engineering school was the most risky path path that I could take, not the least risky path. And for the simple reason is that I just never felt comfortable putting my life in someone else's hands. You know, I was going to have a boss who's got a boss who's got a boss who's got a boss. And finally, you know, 20 up, levels up above me would have been the CEO. And I just didn't feel comfortable putting my life in in uh, someone else's hands. So that's why I started down uh, my own entrepreneurial journey from uh, 
from right from the point I graduated from engineering school. So your parents, were they wiring you to be an entrepreneur? Because a lot of parents would have said, Anthony, take the job. Right. I mean, we're talking, you know, I want to tell my friends you're working for Nortel or Microsoft. Like, did they set you up with this kind of mentality or where did it come from? You know, they were amazingly supportive parents. Um, and uh, my dad was my best friend, you know, my whole life. But they, they were professional. So my dad was a lawyer. My mom was a high school teacher. And of course, they were inclined exactly as you're saying, right? They were inclined to have me uh, follow a professional course of some kind, continue that after engineering school, continue, um, you know, either continue school in, in engineering or start a career uh, somewhere in the tech uh, industry. Um, but it was a great uncle of mine that was the most kind of influential on me. My, my grandma's brother, um, he's an entrepreneur based in LA and he was really the only entrepreneur in the family. And I met him from a very young age and I was totally inspired by how he had trailblazed his own path. Um, as an as an Italian uh, immigrant, um, and uh, and made an incredibly successful business uh, in LA, and really, really um, by any metric, uh, nationally in the United States. So he was kind of uh, an influence on me. But it really goes back to that first theme where I felt like it was a big risk to put my career, my uh, my future in someone else's hands. So I felt like I needed to trailblaze my own path. And of course, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. Um, still making mistakes every day, but uh, trying not to make the same ones twice is my kind of <laughs> my kind of objective. So, is this folklore that this started with a twenty five thousand dollar loan from RBC, which is ironically my sponsor, that you parlayed into a multi billion dollar empire? Again, take us back to that twenty five thousand dollars, which must have been a lot of money at the time for you. Yeah, and the risk that came with it. How did you even convince them to give you that money? Yeah, well, Tony, it took me a year to convince the Royal Bank to give me a twenty five thousand dollars small business loan. At the time, they had a small business loan administration, you know, small business loan program. And after a year of you know attempts, I finally qualified for a twenty five thousand dollars loan, and and got started that way. So that that's that's how I got uh, started. I obviously didn't have any capital. I didn't have any connections. I didn't have any family relationships to start from. Truly started from zero. Well, negative, I guess, if you count some student <laughs> debt. Really paid that back as quickly as I could, and and then it became a quarter million dollar loan um, in 1999. And then I uh, uh, did some venture financing in in 2000 for 1.3 million, and then 75 million in 2006, and then you know 700 million to start wind in 2008. So it was definitely a progression over 10 years. It wasn't. People ask me like, did you how did you raise 700 million to start wind? And the answer is I raised 25,000 in 1998, 10 years earlier, and I paid it back. And what was the the most daunting loan you took out during that trajectory that you really went, I'm obligated, I'm all in? Which one was it? You know, it was every single one of them. I was all in, uh, pledging everything, secured securing everything every step of the way. So whether it was the 25,000 through to that 700 million to start wind, I was rolling everything. And obviously, in the case of start wind, I was. 10 years in, I was rolling a significant business that I had built for 10 years, rolling the whole thing. And I mean, that's how I got the investors, you know, confident that I had not just skin in the game, I had my, you know, my whole life in the game. Uh, and and that's how it, that's how it happens. So a lot of my listeners have, have written to me saying they dream of being their own boss, but risk and reward is a tightrope that we've got to walk. Yeah. You were confident being on that tightrope. You never feared failure. What advice can you give to others or... What is your insights and who is the, really has the attributes and heart to find themselves in a place which is really marked by insecurity and uncertainty versus sort of a, a path at IBM? I like to tell people that, in fact, you're taking control of your own destiny by trailblazing your own path. And you're no longer reliant uh, on anyone. The, when something goes wrong, 
you only have one place to look and that's in the mirror. And that's a great place to be. You're right that it's also a very risky place to be because if it doesn't work out, you know, you're, you're left with nothing. But when it does work, um, you've only got one place to look and you've got total control of your destiny. Uh, so I like it from that standpoint. I think what the, the kind of message that I share with people is my story is not one of any uh, head start or family relationships or connections or big capital base, uh, nothing, you know. And so and, and I don't have any particular, you know, strengths that I can see uh, that are extraordinary. I mean, I think um, obviously I got an engineering degree and that's not easy to do. So I, I did do that. Um, but I, I, I didn't start with any huge advantages. I want to stress that. And so I say to people is like, look, what worked for me was those age old adages and stereotypes about entrepreneurship. So perseverance, uh, discipline, uh, good old fashioned hard work, consistency, um, conviction. I mean, these are the things that were the hallmarks of my trajectory, my career. And obviously all along the way, there's naysayers, naysayers, there's haters, there's doubters, um, customers, you're trying to prove yourself to customers early on um, when you don't have a track record and you're going to get a whole bunch of no's. That's that's true. And and um, and so you got to be in the face of that, have all those things, have that perseverance, that discipline, that consistency and that conviction that you're going to be uh, successful. So that's kind of what, what I say. And, and for me, that's was was it. I didn't start with any crazy intellectual property or any asset base that really gave me a head start. No, it was, you know, a year securing a $25,000 small business loan that got me started. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. We return, we move 10 years forward to when Anthony starts Global Live. He finds himself in a position where he has to stare down not just one Goliath, but two. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Back in 2008, when we founded the Win Mobile business, prices in wireless services in Canada were among the highest in the world. After we built the Win network and launched, prices came down over 20% across the country. And that meant a savings of three to $400 a year for Canadian families, whether you were a Win Mobile customer or not. And that's what I'm most proud of about the Win Mobile business. My guest today is Anthony Zacavera. He's Canada's Richard Branson. He doesn't define himself by sector, but by understanding what the customer wants. So do you think entrepreneurs are wired a certain way, or do you think that you can learn to have a greater appetite for risk if you have this desired outcome? And what I love about it is you've never mentioned getting wealthy. It was always about the adventure. It's always about creating and growing and parlaying one thing into another. Are entrepreneurs born that way or is this, if I went to work for Anthony in, in three years, I'd be set up to have that kind of mentality. I've always been uh, talking to my teams about the mission and the mission in the 20 year uh, history I had from 1998 to circa 2017, sort of in the telecom industry in Canada was lowering prices for consumers and businesses. That is my legacy. That's what I did the whole time. Initially, I was lowering prices in long distance. Tony, if you remember back in the day, of long distance calling cards. I mean, that's where I started lowering prices in long distance. Then I was lowering price in home phone. Then I was lowering price in conference calls. Then I was lowering price in home internet. And then with wind, I was lowering price in wireless. And what I'm most proud of is that that meant real savings for, for Canadians and Canadian businesses. And in the wireless example, that meant almost $400 per year per Canadian household, whether, whether you were a wind mobile customer or not. And so 
I'm extremely proud of that. And people ask me, what do you, you made all this money, you know, isn't that amazing? You have a great life, whatever. The whole way along, um, I was all in betting. Everything was on the line the whole time. And I was consistently lowering prices. And for me, the most rewarding thing is, uh, just like you received so many inbound messages from your, your listeners in that era, I received countless emails and calls thanking me for, I can send my kid to another hockey school. I can go to another camp. I can go on another holiday. I can thank you. So, you know, that for me was the most motivating and rewarding uh, part of my career and why I'm excited to get back into it now. I didn't want to sell wind in the first place. And now, fortunately, we've got an opportunity uh, potentially with this Roger Shaw transaction to get back in it. And I'm going to lower prices again. I'm going to get to that in a minute. You just said something about all along my mission to my team. Talk about how you animate that vision. How do you personalize it so that as your organization grows? Because when you start off, you know everybody's name, you know their spouse's names, you know their children's names. But pretty soon on, there's a lot of people you don't even know their names just because of the growth you go under. So how do you make sure that that the passion and vision of an entrepreneur travels like liquid through the entire company? That's a big challenge. And what I say to founders is you've got to spend 25% at least of your time campaigning the culture that you're trying to build for your organization. And that means you're going to be spending a whole bunch of time talking about what what is the why? You know, why are we doing this? Why are we here? Why is this important? Why do I as the founder care about this uh, mission? And for me, it it started in maybe a kind of a tacky, cheesy way. It started with a love of Canada, uh, a love of the country and what the country stands for and the, the decency of this place, the progressive culture of it, the strong democratic institutions and the education system and healthcare, everything we stand for in Canada meant a lot to me. And, um, and, and so I wanted to, uh, help it. The way we found of helping it was helping Canadians save money in, in telecom services. What I would say at every town hall, uh, and you're right, when we got to a size of, you know, more than, you know, even, even at a hundred people, but certainly at a thousand more, it, became very difficult, of course, to have that personal connection with everybody. But I used to always say that. I said, look, we're, we're here, regardless of what you read in the media, regardless of how big Bell, Tellus, and Rogers are and how much they're, you know, uh, lobbying against us with the government, pounding us in the marketplace with their unlimited resources. We have a real reason to be here. And that is that Canadians uh, need to save money in, in telecom services. And I would make it, it's very easy to mean that one to make it relatable, of course, because every single person also has a family uh, and friends with a mobile phone and everybody knew they were paying too much. Um, so it's not so clean cut. I mean, I, I guess I, in that way, I had a, a fortunate position to be able to, to articulate that clearly, identify it and, and narrow to it. But that's what I try to get founders to do is figure out the why. Once you know what that is and you can connect with people on that level, you need to campaign that relentlessly through your organization and to your external stakeholders, investors, customers. Uh, suppliers, everything uh, in your ecosystem, and and that that's what builds uh, a juggernaut of a machine that's very very tough to stop because you're obviously you're smaller and nimble versus the big competitors. So once you have that kind of alignment and everybody's rowing the boat in the same direction, you can become a formidable competitor. You didn't just deal with one Goliath; you had two to fight. Three, if you want to, four, if you want to go, you know, regionally even to Quebec. How important is it to not only personalize why you're there and why it matters, but also to have an enemy, to paint a competitor in a way that people feel that it's their calling because every time you take share from them, you're actually benefiting and enriching this mission. Like, is it important to have both of those in the narrative? I always look at things through a positive lens. So I'd say, listen, 
if, if any of us were the owners of Bell, Telus and Rogers, we'd be doing the exact same thing. If there wasn't a competitor around and we weren't that concerned about, about that, of course, we'd want to maximize profits. Of course, we wouldn't invest as much in innovation. There's a whole bunch of great people and great leaders running those companies. And this is factually what the, the case. I mean, there's some of the best run, those three companies. I mean, Rogers maybe has its challenges in the last 12 months with all the uh, turn, turnover and governance issues. But generally speaking, over the last 30, 40 years, those are very extremely well run companies and uh, from a global uh, benchmark standpoint. So I think that uh, you just say, look, you, you say, look, we need to be here. Because without us being here, there's going to be less investment in innovation and there's going to be higher prices. And so we're helping people save money and we're also helping the Canadian economy by forcing the big players to invest more in innovating new products and services, uh, which helps Canada become more globally competitive. And, and that's kind of the angle I would always take. Because, of course, you'd have, in, in, in my example with Bell, Tellus and Rogers, you'd have a whole bunch of negative sentiment towards those companies, right? And I used to always say to people, it's like, you know what, like, a negative emotion it can be 10 times more powerful than a positive one. And so let's not, let's not skew ourselves uh, and get pulled in that, in that direction. Let's focus on the positive elements of why we're here and why we're going to win and why we're needed. But you're absolutely right. Like if you create, you know, there's enemy out there, uh, it can be a, you know, a galvanizing, uh, you know, element, but I didn't feel the need to do that. I said, look at, you know, let's just, let's, there's nice Canadians everywhere, and there's a whole bunch of nice Canadians working at Bell, Tellus, and Rogers. We're not going to fault them for, <laughs> you know, for the, the lack of competitive positioning in the, in the marketplace and the lack of innovation. We're going to make them pull up their socks, though. I think you're being really consistent to how I see your brand in the marketplace because you, as confident as you are, you've always had a great sense of humility, which really I think comes from your your upbringing and this this sense of you know it's interesting to say the teacher, the lawyer, the entrepreneurial grandparent. But I want to push you a little bit. 2008 to 2015, you run this company, you're the chairman, CEO, 300 stores nationally, you've got 1,200 workers, you're just rocking, you love doing this, you're living your dream of giving back precious discretionary income back to Canadians, but you end up selling it for $1.3 What motivated the sell? Because this is everything you built your life towards, you risked everything to get there. Was it just the prize was too big to ignore? I very publicly, including in a big feature in the Globe and Mail, opposed the sale of that business to Shaw. I would never, Tony, I would never have sold wind. I did not want to sell. I voted against selling because it was doing extremely well. And we were successfully bringing prices down. We brought prices down over 20%. And so you know, I was forced to sell. And the only reason I got into that position was my investor group uh, that were a significant uh, element made up of foreign investors could not get regulatory approvals to continue in Canada. And that's kind of a, <laughs> where the, that's a whole other conversation. But that put us in a place where I, I uh, was forced to sell. And so it's just very fortunate now that the same business now called Freedom Mobile uh, is being sold in the potential Rogers Shaw merger in order to maintain competition in the marketplace, ironically. And so I'm, I'm back bidding for it. And, you know, I will come back into the marketplace and lower prices and bring service levels up and force the big guys to innovate more uh, again, just like we did uh, in the eight years that I was running Win. I have to believe they will take any offer but yours because the last thing <laughs> they want is a value brand controlled by an entrepreneur versus the way they like to control their value brand is just a way to manage the category. You got and it. If you're just listening to this for the first time, you don't understand that value segment is an exciting place to play. It's where entrepreneurs are, but the big 
companies, the Pepsis and the Cokes, like to take those over so that they control the entire category. So I, why would they ever let you back in? They absolutely do not want me back in, Tony. And that's why Rogers is, you know, it's like anybody but Globalive is kind of the, the, the narrative at Rogers in terms of this sale. Uh, and, the, you know, that, that's simply because, of course, they're going to put forward proposals to maintain competition in the marketplace to get their merger with Shaw approved. They're going to put forward proposals that are, of course, beneficial for them. So again, back to the, the theme of being positive. We can't fault Rogers in any way for wanting to put a weak competitor in the marketplace because any rational business person in the circumstances that they're in would, of course, put forward weak competitors. Because if you can choose a weak competitor or a strong one, who in their right mind would choose a stronger one? It's just the way the Canadian legal framework is structured that Rogers is able to put forward proposed remedy partners, as they're called, proposed solutions to maintain co competition in the marketplace. This is why, fortunately for Canadians, uh, the government has the final word here. Fortunately, the government has already started the process of intervening in this and doing a thorough investigation as to uh, the merits of the Rogers proposal. And for this exact reason, of course, they're putting forward weaker competitors than we would be. We would be an actual competitor. We will actually bring prices down. Uh, and of course, every proposal that Rogers is putting forward, uh, they don't have that risk uh, because it's a, a series of, of fake uh, competitors, weak competitors. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. We return, Anthony LaCavera continues to parlay his insights and capital into new businesses, entertainment ventures, and not-for-profit. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. Small business owners are the heart of our economy, and it's our collective interest to keep them beating strong. Small Business Matters to RBC, and a big shout-out for their Small Business Navigator portal that points the way to practical resources, money-saving offers, and financial advice. Find out more at rbc.com slash smallbusinessnavigator. I'm really good at um, picking a direction. No matter how many people tell me, in the case of wind, hundreds if not thousands of people told me, you're crazy, it's never going to work. I just completely tuned it out. It's a path that I want to go down, and so I just am able to not lose focus or lose energy because I can just keep going in that direction. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Anthony Lacavera is one of Canada's top entrepreneurs. As a kid out of school, he parlayed a $25,000 loan into creating a multi-billion dollar company. And in one of those, he stared down the two telecommunication giants. So there's two books that I read that I, I want to get your thoughts on. One was The Founder's Dilemma. When does a founder leave a business? and turn it over. And the second one was The Pirate Inside. The Pirate Inside talked about, you know, the British Navy, three rows of cannons, nobody could touch them. Yep. And then the pirates figured out they could row underneath the cannons and put dynamite on yeah. and use the cannons to block the musket fire. What do you prefer to be? The pirate who starts a business or takes over a business or what you ended up being, which is in a sense the Navy when you're running something that's big enough that it's going to sell for $1.2 billion. Obviously started uh, on the edges, uh, certainly was uh, rowing a, a, a canoe alongside the Bell, Tullis and Rogers aircraft carrier. For, uh, <laughs> that's definitely where you start. But as you get bigger, you got, again, going back to that theme of maintaining uh, the campaign and campaigning the culture, right? And the mission. Um, everybody was aligned as we got bigger at WIND. And I'm very proud of the awards we won uh, with respect to the company's culture. 
because everybody was aligned in, in making sure that we uh, disrupt that that aircraft carrier that's um, you know that's running over the the marketplace. So certainly back to the founders dilemma, I would say people have to think about, and I talk to founders about when I speak to founders and groups, I talk about think about what your personal mission is here and and what you want your legacy to be. When you arrive in that place, that's when you can either sell the business or take yourself out of the business. And obviously, the recent example in in on a huge scale is Jeff Bezos. You know, but there's many examples. Bill Gates. There's many. Uh, uh, Larry Page uh, at Google. There's many great examples of people having transformed a category, created a category, and transformed the world. And then saying, I, I, you know, now I'm going to step back from it. That had that wasn't the place I was in. My mission was not complete with wind, and and that's why I didn't want to sell it. We had brought prices down, but we hadn't successfully restructured the marketplace to be permanently competitive, which was my goal. Because we shouldn't be relying as Canadians on one business to have a competitive marketplace, one competitor. We need the whole industry to be competitive. And so that we're innovating constantly and we're exporting Canadian innovation in telecom. That's the place I'd love us to be, Tony. We're smart as Canadians. We've got a lot of intellectual capital here, a lot of resources. Why can't we take the best practices in telecom in a competitive market here and export them? You know, you look at Vodafone, for example, a UK-based wireless company. They're operating in some 80 countries. You know, Valentelis are very well-run companies. You know, they could be dominating the telecom industry globally. And if they were, how many more tens of thousands of jobs would be created here in Canada? That's, you know, for me, where I'd like to see the market restructured, permanently competitive. And that's what I set out to do with wind. And of course, lowering prices in the short term is, is a real benefit from that. Um, but a long-term investment in innovation is really what you get out of that in terms of long-term benefits and, and the opportunity to export Canadian expertise. And, and, and the second question about whether I want to be a pirate or a big ship, I think you, you have to, as an, as an entrepreneur in any industry where there's, you're do, it's dominated by big players, like in my case, uh, the Canadian telecom industry with Bell, Tullis and Rogers, you're absolutely starting from a place of uh, being the scrappy underdog. Either you, you keep fighting, you keep fighting the good fight, and either you win or you're dead. <laughs> so let's talk about Canada. I'm so passionate about this country. I mean, 40 million people, vast resources intellectual bandwidth, diversity, we share a border of the United States. Check, check, check. Anybody that, that, that has the capability of leading going, I have an abundance of riches, but we seem to be finding ourselves in a situation where we're dividing as a country, we're focusing on boring our way to, to get ballots. What do we need to do to wake this country up and make Canada what it should be, the most enviable place in the world to innovate, create, market, attract talent, foreign capital, because we have everything going for us. We just don't seem to have the mission. We don't seem to have the leader. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. I read about this in my book in that in the 2012 uh, Olympics, CTV had a reporter on talking about how amazing it was that Canada had just won the most ever number of bronze medals in our history. <laughs> <laughs> and the, literally this conversation went on for 20 minutes where, where it's like, we're number one at being number three, you know, like why? After a whole bunch of interviews of leaders and, and, um, and people on the political side in the country and in uh, academia, in the public sector and charities, it's entirely a mindset issue, Tony. We have to just break free of our colonial branch plant mindset because we have all the potential and all the capability, just as you articulated, we have everything going for us to be number one. And all we have to do is change our mindset and go for the gold and go out and play to be number one. It's incredible when you think about things like our automotive industry, 
where we've got incredible capabilities in automotive, whether it's hybrid electric, electric batteries, uh, assembling vehicles. Um, we have GM Canada, Ford Canada, Toyota Canada, Mitsubishi, you know, like on and on and on. But why aren't we creating and exporting a Canadian car, right? We're supplying the global automotive industry. We're further down the value chain. We're a junior partner. Why haven't we created a multiple Canadian cars with all the expertise we have, which rivals Michigan, if not in many ways is better than Michigan from an expertise and capabilities and resource perspective. So why aren't we creating and exporting a Canadian car? This is what I talk about in, in the book. And the only conclusion I could come to is that it's a mindset issue. We're so used to being from a British colony, serving the British empire, to now having that giant neighbor to the South, the U.S., uh, and exporting to the U.S., where as you, as you, I'm sure you know, 80% of our exports go, we just have to break free from that, diversify our trade globally, and go for the gold in every category we pursue. By the way, we have no problem going for the win when we play hockey. You know, we think Team, team Canada is going to win gold, right? And we don't think about that the U.S. is 10 times bigger. We think we're better. We think we should win. And when we don't win, we're, uh, you know, we'll get them next time. Why don't we have that mindset in business? I, I've always said if Terry Fox was an American, they would have torn down the Statue of Liberty and made Terry Fox statue there. Yes. Because yes. they're so proud of success. Yes. And you could call them, people say, well, they're so patriotic. But I believe, as, as you say, is the cultures that believe that they, their destiny is a matter of choice, not chance, are the ones that win. And I think that's a wonderful way to, uh, to portray it. Now, talk to me about, the tech companies, because you're doing a lot of investing, you're mentoring, you have a television show about it. You I mean your book about how we can win. What advice do you give to students or people that really want to get into that field in terms of what it does take to win? Let's use the title of your book. I always talk about those principles of entrepreneurship that are the stereotypes you've heard about that people think, well, I got to have some special edge and you don't, and the answer is you don't really need that. So if you're prepared to have perseverance, conviction, consistency, and discipline and good old fashioned hard work, then you will get to where you're trying to go. It amazes me how many amazing young founders give up, you know, halfway through or give up at the first, you know, significant roadblocks. There is definitely going to be major roadblocks along the way. For myself, I made all kinds of mistakes earlier in my career, uh, all kinds of mistakes uh, with customers, with investors, with stakeholders, with team members. I made mistakes and you're going to continue to make mistakes. The point is to maintain uh, humility around that and uh, always have an open mind to, to learn. And at the same time, walk that fine line of having an open mind to learning and humility that you're able to you're going to make a lot of mistakes, but also have that conviction that you're going to win. I find that this is really a question of balance. We talk about work-life balance. I talk a lot to founders about uh, about that finding that balance. And it's different for every business. It's different for, different for every person. But the principles always apply. How do you have humility and an open mind to learning something every day and recognizing that you're far from invincible, you're going to make lots of mistakes, and you've got your eyes open all the time to learning new things, and you also have the confidence and conviction that you're going to win. That's really, to me, an art form. And it's not something that uh, I can give you a scientific formula for, but I've learned over the years that that is the hallmark of success. And I would take somebody who has that mindset with a C business plan any day over somebody with an A business plan that doesn't have that mindset. 
You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. And today, we have a world-class research and now commercialization ecosystem in AI. But we are aggressively pursuing American tech giants to locate big presences in our lovely city. It's the ultimate Trojan horse. Our amazing AI-enabled startups in all across Canada who are starving for how many people are starving for great engineers? And how hard is it? It's hard. My guest today is Anthony Zakaveri. He's Canada's Richard Branson. He doesn't define himself by sector, but by understanding what the customer wants. So what's next for you? I mean, I know that you've got your eye on freedom. You're doing so much in the philanthropy. You're doing so much in the tech space. What, what's next? I mean, you strike me as someone that sleep is a, something you have to do versus want to do. You know what I'm really passionate about these days, Tony, is longevity. I've really gotten myself interested in longevity and the idea of living a healthy life longer. Um, and we hear about all these amazing new technologies that are coming out, and I'm investing in a lot of them, whether it be stem cell therapies, gene therapies, um, these immediate interventions we can all do um, to you know, improve our, our health span rather than lifespan. I mean, who cares if you're 90, if, you know, if it's been 10 years before you, you know, sadly knew who you were, um, or it's been 10 years, you know, in a wheelchair, how do we get people living healthier lives longer? Um, and using the technologies we've got and making them, democratizing them, making them available to everyone, because we're in a place already, as you know, that the healthcare system um, thankfully in Canada, we have, uh, you know, pretty well democratized it, but in markets like the United States, it's not at all democratized. And, you know, the affluent can afford all these amazing treatments and interventions and, and they're accessible to the 1%. So how do we, how do we make these cost effective for everybody? Well, just, I got to ask you a question because the people, the podcast audience can't see you, but you're like leaning into the screen. You're so energized by it. Why telecommunications? You got a new mission, which is to let people live healthier. Why are you even focused on your previous mission when this one could be something that could that could add so much more value? I mean, saving money is one thing, but saving a life, living into your nineties with your cognitive skills—I mean, that is that is admirable. That's what I'm really excited about is my next mission. But as I said already, my last mission uh, in creating a competitive telecommunications industry in Canada. That hasn't been completed. So I still got to do that. I've got to, if I'm given the opportunity, um, I will do that. And, and I will still move on to the, the health span uh, mission, which I've already started. Um, so, yeah, so I think I have the bandwidth to do both. And I still do manage to, uh, you know, get, get some sleep and, and have some fun along the way. Uh, but, uh, yes, you're, you're, you're right that uh, in many ways, if I thought about it purely in economic terms, there's a global marketplace for longevity. And, and wellness, and it's an exploding marketplace. And probably, yeah, I probably could make more money doing that. But like you, I love Canada. Um, I'm so proud that I lowered prices before. And I'm now potentially given the opportunity to finish my mission and lower prices again. And I'm going to do it. Anthony, I always end these interviews with the, my three takeaways. And there's so many things that you touched on. The first is, and I think this is so important, whether you're raising a family or creating a business or you're working within a company, is campaigning the culture. I love when you said campaign the culture. It's, it's why do you matter? 
What are we here for? And entrepreneurs spending 25% of your time, I think is some of the best advice I've ever heard. The second one is just the, the mindset of going for the goal. You know, that switch that says we can be the best in the world. We could be the petri dish of the world. We could lead the world in so many things. John loves a big component of providing the, the world with clean and ethically produced fuels. You know, just having these big bets. But the third one, I think, is just this. I started off the show talking about tight ropes, but this, I'm going to change the tight rope because you're, as an entrepreneur has to go and say, I have to have the humility. I have to be able to learn from my mistakes, but I can never lose my confidence and conviction. And if you find that sweet spot, that is such incredible advice for people because you are going to get pushed back. You're going to have people that doubt it. You're going to have people that want to pull you off that tight ride. It might even be your parents saying, don't take that $25,000 loan, get a job. But, you know, having that ability to say, you know what, I, I know I can do this and I'm not afraid of the failures that are going to happen along the way. I think all of this and more. I mean, I knew you were going to be a rock star as a guest because I've followed you for years, but that's some incredible advice you're giving to not only entrepreneurs, but to everybody in Canada to, to say it's time we go for gold. So thank you so much for joining me in Chat of the Matters. Tony, thank you so much for having me. Your passion for Canada uh, is inspirational for me too. And I hope I have the opportunity to speak with you again. Joining me today, I believe holding the new record for most chats on Chat of the Matter is my go-to person to all that involves branding, strategy, and marketing. Georgia Belinsky, Senior Director of Brand Strategy at RBC. Georgia, I think I should get you a gold-plated microphone. I mean, you've, you're the high watermark. This, you're my, you know, having this go-to person. So welcome back to the show. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Tony. I want to talk about Anthony LaCavera. What a story. He borrows $25,000 from RBC. He tells, tells us it takes him a year to convince them to lend him the money. Parlays it into a billions of dollars worth of enterprise. One of the most essential lessons he, he puts out is to say, if you're going to succeed as a brand, if you're going to succeed as a business, you have to have all stakeholders buy in. They have to be part of the journey that you're going through. An organization like RBC, you can just write big media checks. Is it that important to make sure that employees understand your brand, suppliers understand your brand? Absolutely, Tony. What you've just defined really is the function of a brand as a whole to translate meaning for people. So yes, this is a matter of existence for brands and brand practitioners in this industry. The fact that stakeholders can understand and believe a brand matters is absolutely essential to its livelihood. I, I think brands in many ways translate complex ideas into simple ones that have a chance of meaning something to someone, product propositions, service propositions, viewpoints on the world. Brands are these dynamic interfaces that you know really serve to connect people to businesses over shared values. So 100%, it's, it's, it's the essence of a brand. What kind of brands do you feel do it really well that you look at and say, that is someone that really understands that to find a way to resonate in the people that matters heart? Yeah, it's a great question. And I always uh, tend to shift towards brands that have done something in an enduring way. I have so much respect for the long haul, the long journey. And, and so I look to a brand like IBM, which maybe um, isn't a common choice um, from a, a brand perspective, but have been following IBM's brand platform of Smarter Planet since they launched it in 2008. Because not unlike RBC, IBM is a complex, matrix, multi-line of business. Uh, model. And IBM at that time observed that the planet was getting smarter, 
right? And they decided that this was not only a brand platform, but a conversation that they wanted to have with the world and with clients. And so very smartly, that team not only built a brand platform and advertising and communications, but they built a conversation, guides, things for their people to talk to others about that they could lead on. And I think that's an example of driving brand through everything that you do. A lot of my listeners are small business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they're people that aspire to have their own, their hand on the rudder. How hard is it for them to come to terms with the fact that they need to put a brand out there that is worthy of, of the people that matter most of them to pay attention to? The biggest advice I have for those who are thinking about a brand and a brand platform is keeping it dead simple. There's a tendency to think about brand platforms that are big and complex. I think the scope of influence here is so massive potentially on a company that to sort of satiate our ambitions, we try to solve it with complexity. But actually, it's all about getting dead simple, connecting to the needs of customers because brand platforms and brands are interesting. They at the same time need to sort of make a decision and influence the next one while also being an idea itself. And so that simplicity is absolutely essential to brands and brand platforms as we're thinking about building them as business leads and business owners. You mentioned the word idea and you've come up with this concept, you meaning RBC, I know it's not just you, ideas happen here. Take me through how that concept would evolve so that you'll have, you know, maybe 10, 15 years from now, someone like you will be talking about RBC ideas happened here the way you talked about IBM. What happens with this brand that, you know, really starts resonating with the marketplace? Yeah, thank you so much, Tony. It's a great question. Ideas happen here is our brand position at RBC. And it's many things at once, which is, you know, an effort to ensure that it will endure for the long term. It's conviction. Ideas happen here at RBC. It's a commitment to our clients, prospects, and communities. And it's also a conversation, a conversation about ideas. It expresses this position really in a way of saying that we are in the business of ideas, your ideas and ours to help fuel your life. And, and these can be ideas of all kinds, right? Our business can grow with this platform. This platform can grow with our business, whether it's life, business, career, capital, parents, families. We are all fueled by ideas when we get out of bed every single day. And, and that's the, the scope of the resonance we were looking for as we planned a brand position that really is large enough to serve an enterprise over 90,000 strong. When you look at ideas happen here, is this something Something that, for example, we talk about the great resignation, the war for talent, trying to find the right people. I have to believe that there's a certain attribute that you're looking for when you want to bring people that have that customer interface. I mean, curiosity, empathy. I'm going to listen to what, what your dreams are before I sort of dive in and talk about what our products are. So it has to influence your talent strategy as well. Absolutely. It's a great point and, and it's essential that it starts to influence who we attract at RBC and, and who we retain. RBC Economics put out a thought leadership piece last summer about creativity being the power skill of the next decade. And we couldn't agree more as we look for, um, you know, the strongest people to bring into RBC creativity, problem solving, thinking divergently. These are all skills that we need to be as adaptable and flexible and resilient as possible in such a rapidly changing landscape. Georgia Belinsky, uh, gold-plated microphone for most appearances. You know I'm going to knock on your door again. And uh, thank you for joining me in Chatter That Matters. Thanks so much for having me, Tony. Chatter That Matters has been a presentation of RBC. 
Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.